Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Welcome. We are concluding our Together as Family series today in the book of Ephesians. I'd like to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 24. The reason we entitled this time in Ephesians together as together as family is because what we see is in the book, God breaks down the divisions between Jews and Gentiles and brings them together under his lordship for a purpose. And I love what Samuel Taylor Coleridge said about this book, Ephesians. It is one of the divinest compositions of man. It embraces almost every doctrine of Christianity. It's a a guide map. I love when a new believer is first getting to know know God. Uh, First, we point them to a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But then I love taking them through the book of Ephesians because the first three chapters deal with who is God, And the last three deal with who are we. And a lot of who we are, not a lot of who we are, all of who we are is defined by all of who God is. And so we know that in his power, we get to worship. And we do that together as family. Here's Family Church. We love God passionately and we love people personally. We love God passionately and we love people personally. And you know what? The enemy doesn't want us to accomplish that great commandment that God has given to his church. And so, rightly so, the book ends with a challenge uh, for believers to take on the full armor of God and to be prepared for what the enemy is going to throw at the church. And so today's sermon is entitled, This is War. This is War. And uh, Mike and I are not lost on the fact that uh, we came up with this title, This is War, Uh, long before what happened this past week. But maybe it's because God wanted us something timely for this moment. We work and we see, we see when we watch the news and we watch it's unfolding overseas, we see that war is an inevitable reality for a broken humanity. We also see that here in New Orleans, we're at war right now. We're at war with distractions. If you didn't know this, uh, Dennis Watson, the pastor of Celebration, uh, kind of one of the godfathers, the pastors here in the city and church planning, he likes to say that there are only two months for, for church growth in the calendar, typically in New Orleans, January before Mardi Gras and August before football, because there are a lot of distractions in our city. Does that make Mardi Gras and football and festivals and all these things wrong. No, it doesn't make it wrong. But what it does mean is that we're in a spiritual war here in New Orleans. We're in a spiritual war for the heart and soul of our passion, the heart and soul of our love, the heart and soul of our desire. I wrote an article several, I used to blog and write articles a little bit more, and you can always Google what can the church learn from Mardi Gras? What what can the church learn from Mardi Gras? And you'll see an article that pops up is article I wrote, and last actually yesterday evening, my in-laws are in town, and we had my brother and sister-in-law and nephew in town, and we went to the parade here in Kenner, Isis. Uh, obviously, the parade was named Isis before 
what transpired in the past decade, right? You know, of a group named ISIS. And, uh, but even, even in the names of most of our parades, we can see the, the idolatry, right? That is rooted in it. And so what we see is that even at, at Mardi Gras, uh, we invited the Farleys and Reese came. This is their first Mardi Gras since moving to New Orleans. And they noticed some things, picked up on, on some things. And when I look at a season like this, is it evil to go have fun at a parade? I don't believe so. But is it evil to, for your passion and your desire to supersede God in that moment? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like wine's not evil, right? That's part of the that's part of the new covenant. That's part of communion, right? But drunkenness is evil, right? It's the excessive use of what God has given us. And so I think there are a few things that we think when we look at Mardi Gras. We see that people will show up for the right type of culture, right? It's not just about, uh, it's not just about beads and doubloons. It's about the community and the camaraderie you have, right? The, uh, Mike and Reese could probably tell you, you know, what did we do? We waited several hours before the parade got there. And if you know it, those of us like, like Laura and I, who probably wouldn't go to a parade if it wasn't for our kids wanting to go, uh, when you go, part of the nuances of going to it is you got to wait for it to get there. But there's something in that. There's something that's powerful in the waiting. It's the fellowship that you have. Possibly, maybe, does that not just in a minor way mirror what we do as the church? We wait on God's promises, right? We wait on him to come. We lift hands and we don't say, throw me something, mister. We say, we lift hands and we say, God, I need your spirit. And his gifts pour down on us. So all of this is a glimpse of what's to come. And it's really a war that we're in. A war for the heart, soul, and passion of who we are. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, and in light of that, what's going on in our city and also what's going on overseas and what's going on all across of our, our world, know that God has prepared us for battle. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through the end of the, of the book. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with, the true, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints, 
pray also for me that the message may given, be given to me, Paul writes, when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this reason, I, for this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be also bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason so that you know, you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and the sisters and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church says what? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray today as we open your word and we look at what it means to take on your armor, Lord, that just as Paul called upon the church to stand, God, I pray today we would, through your spirit, be empowered to stand, to stand for your truth, stand for your love, stand on your promises, stand in a world that is moving in the opposite direction, Lord, Give us your presence today so that we can be filled and pour out for you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The big idea is this. The Lord helps us stand. The Lord helps the church stand. And this standing is not just getting up off of your chair and standing. This type of standing is when wind is blowing up against you, when things are battering you, you're standing, you're unmoved. You aren't moving. And first we see God causes us to stand because this, we are at war. We are warring. We are not just at war with other people. We are at war with ourselves. We're at war with our own sinful desires and our own sinful nature. But Paul opens up and your translation might say, be strong. This translation, the Christian Standard Bible says, be strengthened. The word there means to be empowered, to become strong. And the only way that we can be strengthened is, is how? Through God's presence working in and through us. In fact, we need the spirit to be able to read God's word and God's word to come to light to us. It's a work of the Father. It's a work that Christ accomplished on the cross. And it's a work now that we being open to the Holy Spirit and inviting to the Holy Spirit, now allow him to use us and strengthen us. Paul is, is probably calling to light a command that God gave Israel as they were about to re-inhabit the promised land. As Israel was going and they were going to get into the promised land, but yet there was opposition for them to take the land. In the book of Joshua, you see that God says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land that I swore to your ancestors to give to them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and courageous. In fact, he tells them to take the law of Moses and meditate on it day and night. And to not forget what God has, how far God has brought him and how far God is going to bring him. In fact, he closes that, this passage in Joshua saying that I am with you wherever you go. So what is Paul doing here? He's probably evoking these past promises of God. And he's saying, be strong. Just as Yahweh called us to strength and faithfulness, now we as his people are calling one another to strength 
and faithfulness, we are at war. And the war is not just simple things. Underneath every disagreement in the church, underneath every divorce, underneath every war in our world, underneath every, every pain is a spiritual battle. We live, we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual world. And what do we see? We see that our war is not just with flesh and blood, but it's with the cosmic powers of this present darkness. We're at war, and we're at war with the schemes of the devil. Possibly, in the context of what Paul is talking about, possibly these schemes of the devil are what he referred to earlier in the book of the divisions and the false teaching going on in the, in the church. The enemy is at war trying to create division. The enemy is at war trying to create strife amongst one another. But just as we see in our season of Mardi Gras here, where we see what? We have crawfish season that's just come upon us. We know that there's king cake, right? King, you got to get your king cake for a few more days, right? So we know that food and drink and celebration are an important part of our bond in our community. More so do we not see in communion that we come to the table of the Lord and we are what? We are united by the wine and the bread, which represent his body and his blood. We are at war. And the reason why we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table is because we are at war. Because we are warring against ourselves and we are warring against the enemy. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he, you may have heard this quote before, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Just to kind of translate it, because I know that's written in kind of old English, there's two errors when it comes to the enemy. Obsess over him or forget that he's there. And there's a balance in between. We know the enemy is at war. I know that that my God is not at war. He's won the battle. Ah, Do y'all know on the cross, what did he cry out? What did Jesus cry out? He didn't say, on the war. What did he cry out? It is finished, right? We look at the book of Revelation. We're going to get to Revelation right here after Easter. And in the book of Revelation, we see that he cries out, it is done. Ah. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I will freely give to the thirsty of the spring of the water of life. It's done. It's finished. It's done. We've won the battle. And so we get to stand in God's power. So be aware that the enemy is present, that the demonic forces of this present darkness are present. But don't blame everything against Satan. There's only one Satan. Satan's not omnipresent like, like God. He's not in all places. He's at one spot. And there's only a certain number of demons. And you know what? The angelic powers far outnumber them. And there's a limited number. A lot of what we deal with is what we call our flesh. And our flesh can be influenced, but we carry on in those passions. We are at war. We are at war with the enemy. 
and we are war at war with the enemy's influence and temptation that he has upon us. To turn our eyes off Jesus rather than to turn our eyes upon him. Second is this. Paul encourages us, even though we're at war, we're ready for battle. You're not, you're not looking for something else. You have everything that you need. We are warring. We are ready. We are readied as God people. What, what do we see? We see truth like a belt, uh, a belt of truth. If y'all didn't know, belts are important. They hold your pants up, right? And what Paul is doing is he's imagining a Roman soldier here. I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school and you had a chart on the wall of the Roman soldier and it listed out the helmet of salvation, belt of truth, all these things. But what you see here is that Paul is taking a, a, a symbol of opposition because the Roman Empire had not yet turned to Christ. God is taking, is, is Paul, God actually, in inspiring Paul to write this, is taking a symbol of opposition and so in, showing his people how much more so we are prepared to battle against the enemy. We put on the belts of truth. And we see that the belt is, it held the breast, it held the, the, the breastplate in place. It also provided a place for the sword. The belt was important. We also see that there is arm, an, a chest piece of righteousness, an armor, a breastplate of righteousness. Probably the most important thing a soldier had when he went to war was what? The breastplate. Because it protected the most vital organs. You could lose a foot, but if you, your heart gets cut out, you're dead, right? And so the, the, what protects us as God's people is righteousness. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Yes, God is the one that saved us. God is the one who had gifted us through his grace, but we are called to live in righteousness. And we guard ourselves against the scheme of the enemy and when we live in that power. We also see that feet were to be sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now these, the feet that are sandaled is picturing, it's not like boots that we, we take into modern warfare. Y'all remember what a Roman soldier looked like? Looked like. It's like these hob, hob, uh, hobnailed Shoes where they nailed these leather straps, multiple leather straps into a solid foundation. And what did it do? It provided sure footing. When they were climbing mountains, when they were on the battlefield, maybe it was wet. It meant that they wouldn't slip. And so God is telling us to be ready with peace, to go into every situation, to go into every situation and build bridges for the truth. And then fourth, the shield of faith. Shield is important because it shielded us from all sorts of attacks. Flaming arrows or flaming darts were meant, if you ever seen the movie Braveheart, you know this. When they shoot the flaming arrows, it's meant to catch the other wooden instruments on fire and to burn. Think of this with Satan's temptations, right? Satan throws a dart and it's meant to light everything else on fire. This is why when we talk about sexual immorality, and sexual morality, we say not even a hint of sexual impurity, right? Because one little fire can set a forest ablaze. So we take up the shield of faith. We also take up the helmet of salvation. This doesn't just remind us of, 
of our salvation that we have, but the future salvation that we know. We take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit in this with prayer is the only offensive weapons mentioned. God doesn't want us to just prevent all the enemy's attacks. God wants us to go to war. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. He says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. I'm gonna use you, Peter, and I'm also gonna use your confession that I am the Christ. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know what? The gates of hell are hot. The gates of hell hurt, but the gates of hell don't prevail because we're at war. We're at war. We take on the sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? What does it say in the Scripture? Which is the Word of God. The Lord of the Spirit is the Word of God. God fights the battles based off his promises. You want to hear God speak? I know many of us, we prayed and we, maybe some of us have heard God audibly speak. We always ask, how God, God, how can I hear you speak? Take your Bible home and read it out loud. He's spoken. He's spoken, right? You know what? When we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to read every single stinking verse in the book of Revelation. We're we're not going to be able to touch on everything, but we're going to read it out loud because you know what the book of Revelation opens up with? It says, blessed are those who read aloud the words in this book. God's word is powerful. What does the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tell us? It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It judges our thoughts and intentions. It pierces to our very soul. Maybe the reason we're told to take up the sword of the Spirit is this. We can't fight our battles, but God can. Some people don't include prayer as, an, as, as a piece of the armor. I like to tack it on at the end because our words are just as effective as what we put on, right? You can be a soldier ready for battle and not believe and say the wrong things and not be ready, not be intimidating, not be a part of the team. It's kind of like when you're playing sports or athletics or any type of thing. You can put on all the equipment, you can get ready for the, for the competition, but if you don't believe it and if you don't speak it, you're going to create divisions in your midst. So what are we called to do? Prayer is audible and prayer is also spiritual. So what do we do? We pray at all times in the spirit. There's four all times that are mentioned. And why do we pray? We don't pray to change God. Prayer is something that changes us because God never changes. When we pray, we understand his will. We understand his power. We are reminded of who he is. The book of Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 through 16 says this, then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. And when you think about this, this is imagery of warfare. There was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Not Most of us would look at this and think that the blood on this warrior is the blood of those he's killing and defeating. But in fact, the blood on this warrior is the blood that he shed on the cross for us. A robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. John writes Revelation. John also writes the Gospel of John. How's John chapter 1 open, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John nears the end of his life, he reminds us that the, the, the white horse rider coming back for the church, his name is the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. White represents holiness and purity. And a sharp sword came out of his mouth, so that he may strike the nations with it. The word, is God, word of God is living and active, sharper than what? A double-edged sword. The Word of God fights our battles. The Word of God has won the war. He will rule them with an iron rod and he will trample on the winepress of the fierce anger or some of your translations may say wrath of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh that says this, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul knew this and Paul wanted us to be ready. Paul talked about warfare. He talked about the church being ready for the war that we're in. Even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and, a, and, a, and, a, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Wow. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but what is the greatest? Love, right? Love God passionately and love people personally. That is the warfare that we find ourselves in, family church. Lastly, it's this. You might get to the end of the letter and you see kind of the, the closing statements and you see the Tychicus, our beloved brother, you know, it's coming to you and you might say, well, what meaning does that have? I think here's where we land with this text today. We are warring, we are ready, but we're together. We're together. Amen. We're together as family. Paul finds himself in imprisonment. And what does he ask the church to do? The church that he's trying to bless. He feels a camaraderie. Not just that he's leading them, but a camaraderie that he needs them. And he says, pray for me. I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison. He's praying for power so that he can share the good news even in his chains. And he's sharing his faithfulness so that the church can hear about it. He's sharing that Tychicus, their beloved brother, is coming. We know that Tychicus was probably the, the, the carrier of the letter of Colossians as well as Philemon. We see Onesimus was with him in the book of Colossians, traveling with him bringing uh, probably the letter of Philemon also to the church. And so Paul is sending uh, Tychicus, who was with him on his third missionary journey, his friend, one of his brothers, one of his comrades. He's saying, 
my, my brother who's not in prison, he's going, he's going to tell you about me and how I'm doing. I don't know if you've been following the news and hear stories of people just spontaneously worshiping in bomb shelters in Ukraine. We saw a pastor on the Today Show yesterday, him and his wife sharing about just how the, their, their perseverance in the midst of war. These stories from the front lines, not just of war, but of the world, of missionaries everywhere, they encourage us as the church. Because what? When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body rejoices, we rejoice. And even in warfare, we remember that there are Christians on the other side of the battle. We pray for the Russians that love Jesus and that don't desire. It's kind of like our country. We love Jesus, but our country murders babies every day. We don't live in, a whole, we don't live in the New Jerusalem yet. But we long for that day that's to come, right? And we're together we're together. Churches, we need the good news of God's work in the world. And what we see is in battle, the Lord helps us stand. He helps us stand. He helps us stand and he helps us advance. And the way we advance is, is we do it together. And that's what I'd like to invite you today to do is to join the family. To join the family. As you know, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead in pairs. He didn't send them as individuals. No, there's a togetherness there. Amen. He sent them in pairs into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Pray for more to go and pray that you have the boldness and the armor of God on you to go. Now go. <laughs> I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. The spiritual battles in our world aren't easy. Wolves bite and wolves hurt. Wolves kill sheep. But we have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd that fights our battles and that has won the war. And he's calling us to stand. He's calling us to stand so that we can proclaim to everyone, Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you've never called upon his name, I would encourage you. To call upon his name. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. The enemy wants us to perish with him. Because he knows what his future holds. He knows where he's going to be. He knows that he's already lost the battle. And he wants to take as many of us as he can with him. But through the gospel... Through the good news of Jesus, we're allowed to stand. Amen. Amen. The gates of hell come against us. But as we come together, maybe we're all, we all have water pistols, right? Maybe we feel like the gates of hell, we can't put out the flame together. But when we come together, yeah. empowered by the spirit of the living God that flows like streams, 
of mighty water, right? What happens? Those little pistols turn into hose that puts out the flame. Together as family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your, for your word. Lord, we know that we're at war. God, today, as we've mentioned, Lord, our brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe that are in war, God, we remember them. God, we also remember our brothers and sisters all across the world, even here in New Orleans, that are in war. The enemy coming after each and every turn. God, help us to be empowered to stand. Help us to take up the full armor. Help us to be faithful. God, we're here and we follow you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand?